Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Well, I think the thing about it is that you're able to hold, you're holding a rock that's older than anything we know of on the surface of the earth, other than other meteorites, of course. So none of the crust on earth is that age. The first crust that formed at the same time is gone. It's been destroyed over time. But there you can hold something that's the formation of the solar system in your hand. You're holding the core of another planet. Kia ora, and welcome to Our Changing World. Ko Today, a journey across time and space. From the formation of our solar system about four and a half billion years ago to a wade up river near a former gold mining settlement just south of Greymouth on the South Island's west coast. We join a meteorite hunting expedition with Associate Professor Dr James Scott from the Geology Department at the University of Otago. So let's go another about 500 metres up this one here, and then we should meet that confluence, and then from there we can spread out and start, start the searching, yeah. We are following in the footsteps of Mr Ted Dowie, who on the 25th of January 1976 discovered a large meteorite in this mining district of Dunganville. Now, meteorite is a name for a chunk of solid debris that has come from outer space and survived the journey through the atmosphere to land on Earth. Maybe it's come from an asteroid, or it's a bit of rock knocked off the moon or another planet. When it hits the atmosphere and heats up and streaks across the sky like a fireball, we call it a meteor. But once it hits the ground, it's a meteorite. So that's the task of the day to see if we can find a left-behind piece of the Dunganville meteorite, the largest found in New Zealand to date. But, James explains, we will have some hunting to do. Well, the problem is that when it was historically found, the recording was very coarse, like the the location was very coarse. And so it's either up that stream there or it's in this stream here. We just can't really tell. And um, when we plotted what we we had, it it could be either one. So we're just going to have to... Search a wide area. Search a wide, yeah. Mm. And is the thinking that that initial meteorite, all of that was collected or there might be bits left over? Oh, there should be bits left over, yeah. yeah. Given the, the, the thickness of the weathering crust on it, it's probably in, the, in here for quite a while. And, and then when they came back, they collected something like 60 additional pieces of it in the area. So uh, there's plenty of it here, <laughs> or there was plenty of it here. We just hope that there's some, some more of it here. Mm. So this is the paper that reports the initial find? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So in 1976, there was a, um, a gold miner who was up here looking for gold and apparently a nephrite. And he found a 50 kilogram boulder in the river here. To Ted Dowie, it looked like ponamu or greenstone, which geologists call nephrite. A big chunk of it sitting amongst the regular rocks in the area, which geologists refer to as the Greenland group. 
So, obviously, Mr Dowie's next step was to smack it with a hammer. It rang like a bell. So, we've got a couple of things here. If it's really hard, uh, it's magnetic, for those of us that don't have uh, metal detectors, um, and uh, looks um, quite smooth and polished. So, most of this in here is, is Greenland Group, which is um, metamorphosed sandstone and mudstone, so it's going to be quite distinct from that. That's right. We're looking for a darkish coloured rock amongst a riverbed full of rocks in a roughly defined area laid out in a paper written in 1984. Luckily, we have a team and some tricks up our sleeve. G'day, I'm Felix. I'm an exploration geologist. Hey, I'm Thomas. I'm an all-round geology enthusiast and I'm currently halfway through a master's. Hello, I'm Julie. I'm currently halfway through my honours. Uh, hey, I'm Daniel. I've just finished up my honours looking at some Martian meteorites. Hello, I'm Eve. Um, I just finished my honours at Otago. Hi, I'm Nadine. I just finished my honours at Otago as well. Hi, I'm Marshall. I'm a, I've just finished my PhD and I'm doing a postdoc at Otago University. And uh, I'm a pretty keen gold metal detectorist. So, yes, yeah, so, sort of be a bit of help out here trying to look for meteorites. We set off, and at the start, the sides of the river slope gently, and we pick our way across the rounded worn stones. We wade into deeper water to cross the main river and follow the stones along the other side. The river twists and bends, and at times the banks get steeper, forming a narrow gorge with green moss clinging to the sides and lush ferns dripping down. As we walk along the stony riverbed, Marshall explains to me why the metal detectors should help once we get to our search site. So, you know, there, there could still be more to be found out there. They were just, I think, they were just looking with their eyes. Okay. But we've got metal detectors, so we might be able to see things under the surface. <laughs> and how will the metal detectors help? Uh, they pick up any... Um, anything that can conduct electricity, so any metal, and also um, it will pick up minerals uh, that are magnetic. And from what you know about this meteorite, it will be made of metal? Yeah, it's mostly iron, um, with some other metals like nickel. Um, yeah. What's amazing here is that this Iron Dunganville meteorite would have first formed around the same time as our solar system. As a giant cloud of gas and dust, the solar nebula, this remaining material from an exploding massive star, as this cloud was coming together to form our sun, the leftover bits gathered in a large disk and then some came together to form protoplanets. Now, some of these became the planets we know today, but others never made it that far. So these are the leftovers of the leftovers. Some got big and hot enough to melt and separate out into a dense iron core and lighter mantle. But they never made it to that big planet status. They got smashed and blown apart into bits instead. Many of these iron core bits now drift as asteroids, some within Earth's orbit others in the main asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. And sometimes, if collisions knock them into a different path that overlaps with Earth's orbit, they can be captured by Earth's gravity and end up on our planet. But unfortunately, 
It's not the only iron we are likely to find in this river. Yeah, so we, we just saw a big sheet of rusted iron, and that's going to be one of our challenges. Um, because the iron meteorites are going to have a very similar sounding signal to other bits of you know, trash in the river. You mean on the metal detector when you're using the, the metal detector? Yeah, so rusted iron is going to sound yeah, similar to our meteorite and also some minerals in the rocks can have uh, similar signals as well. So you'll have lots of uh, red herrings. Yeah, a lot of targets that won't be meteorites, <laughs> possibly. After following the river for about an hour and a half, we round a corner where it widens out. And James says we've reached the spot. We set our bags down on the stony riverbank and the team fan out with metal detectors set to read for iron and eyes peeled for any unusual looking rocks. The hunt begins. There's something there. Something there. I spy Felix wrangling a big stone out of the riverbed and head over to see what he and James are doing. That's why we brought Felix along. <laughs> Knees deep into the water. <laughs> yeah. Hang on. So you're scooping out bits from under the rock. Yeah, there's a big from... rock here, this thing. And typically heavies, they always sit under. You know, they get trapped behind big rocks. And normally if there's a water coming up from upstream, they'll sort of accumulate either on this end or on the back end here. So if you remove the rock, it all falls into a hole and you can hopefully, if you're lucky, <laughs> find something nice scoop and Scoop it out, yeah. yeah. So each scoopful, James is then testing with the metal detector. Yeah, let's right. put it over here, Felix. Just out of the way of that signal. Out. Right in there. Right, so this is where it begins. Of just the stuff we have to painstakingly go through it like this. It's more like a small target, we haven't seen it. Or it's a hot rock. What's a hot rock? A hot rock's something that's got, um, it gives off a frequency. So it could be, you know, an iron rich rock or something with, um, that gives off a bit of a yeah, magnetic signature. So it could be iron, uh, you get like these schists sometimes, they have a lot of iron in them. And if you hold it over the detector, it gives off a really strong signal. But it's, you know, it's worth nothing. <laughs> Just have a look. Oh, is it this thing? Ah! Oh. You don't want a battery? <laughs> there you go, no score one. number one. It was a valiant effort. Yeah. <laughs> great job. Well, at least we're being good at cleaning up the rivers, you know, <laughs> all the rubbish. Right, Oddwood. It's going to be a bit like that, I'm afraid. Yep. You get ten, ten wrongs and hopefully one The search continues. Now, while the Dunganville meteorite is an iron core of a protoplanet, this is not the only type of meteorite that falls to Earth. For example, over 500 lunar meteorites, rocks from the moon, have been found and identified. And Daniel recently completed his honours project 
on meteorites of a different flavour. I did a project looking at um, Martian meteorites with James, so we had a look at what the inside of Mars might look like, which was pretty cool. It's pretty exciting stuff. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So that's rocks that have come from Mars and landed on Earth and then analysing the composition of them? Yeah, pretty much. So, um, yeah, so the cool thing about meteorites is some of them actually come from Mars. So there's impacts big enough on Mars that they can accelerate the rocks off the surface to the escape velocity of Mars and then they enter orbit around the sun and then if the trajectory is lined up with Earth, they'll end up on Earth. So it's, it's pretty cool you're holding these rocks that have been on this insane journey from another planet, which is just mental. Um, so all of the Martian meteorites are mostly volcanic, and so when they come out of the mantle, they have like an isotopic fingerprint of the mantle, what the composition of the mantle might be. So we're, we were analysing that fingerprint, and so that can tell us what the mantle might look like on Mars, which is really cool. So it's what we do here on Earth and we were doing it on Mars. And the meteorites you were looking at, where did they come from? Like, where do they land on Earth? So when a meteorite comes in through the atmosphere, it gets really, really hot because it's with the friction with the air. And so it melts the exterior of it and forms a black, what's called a fusion crust. So the best spot to find a black rock is where the contrast in colours is best. So in Antarctica, on the white ice, or um, in the deserts of North Africa and the Sahara usually. So that's kind of the two main spots that you find meteorites, which is why it's really exciting that we're looking here for some because it's in the middle of the bush, which you wouldn't normally find. Yeah. So the meteorites you studied came from Antarctica or they, desert? Or? They all came from Sahara Desert. We just bought them online. But as you say, it's a bit of a different story today. It's We're looking for rocks among a lot of rocks. Yeah, <laughs> which makes things a lot more difficult. <laughs> and also the type of meteorites that we're looking for are different, right? Yeah, yeah. so the Martian meteorites, they're all um, volcanic rocks, so they're, they're pretty similar to a volcanic rock you'd find on Earth. But um, these here are iron meteorites, so they're cores of ancient planets or protoplanets that have been blown apart in the early days of the solar system. So... Yeah, it's pretty cool. We're just looking for four and a half billion year old rocks in this riverbed. <laughs> we have a couple more false starts. A nail, a washer, an iron beam of some kind, a hot rock. But then James and Marshall return back with some pieces that they think might be promising. Yeah, that's similar to these bits here. And we could imagine these potentially as being the crust of something. Is it shedding this material into the river? and it's uh, quite dense, so it's not being transported very far, so... Chances are they're just really rusted bits of metal, but... <laughs> you don't know. look, you won't find. Yeah. I mean, this is a ridiculous thing here. Here we are, we're in the middle of nowhere, um, and somebody found a meteorite here almost 50 years ago. I mean, what are the chances of that? I mean, there's, there must be so many meteorites here around the place to be found in New Zealand. We have, um, see, we've got about nine or ten of them known. And of those, I was thinking about this, there are uh, two types. There's fines and falls. So something that's seen to fall in land is called a fall. And something that's found, like what this one was, would be called a find. And of New Zealand's ones, we've got two, about two falls, and the rest of them are fines. And they're just fortuitous. You know, somebody's ploughed a paddock and 
found something that's of interest. Somebody who's walking up a stream and found something of interest. You know, they're, they're here. <laughs> it's just a case of looking for them. So, Yeah, a lot harder to find them here than on, in Antarctica or on the desert. Ab absolutely, yeah. Yep. But New Zealand has them. They're here. And they're, they're waiting to be found. There are some neat stories behind these New Zealand meteorites. Let me just tell you about the two falls. In 2004, in the Auckland suburb of Ellerslie, a meteorite crashed through Brenda and Phil Archer's roof, bounced off a leather couch, hit the ceiling and landed on the floor. And in 1908, a meteor streaked across the sky during the day, produced a sonic boom and then landed to form a small crater at Mokuia near Wanganui. Both of these were not iron meteorites, but another kind, stony or chondrite meteorites. In fact, the majority, six out of the nine recorded meteorites in New Zealand, are these stony chondrite kind. James explains. So the iron meteorites represent um, the cores of areas that have undergone differentiation. So the planet has separated into a core and a, um, a mantle and a crust. But um, in plants that didn't get to a suitable size for them to get hot enough, they sort of retained their uh, solar nebula componentry. So they didn't undergo differentiation. So a chondrite is a, effectively a stony meteorite, and it represents um, something that never underwent differentiation. So our iron meteorites uh, represent material that started its life as a chondrite, or something of that style, and then it got hot enough that it's separated into these different layers, like Earth is separated into different layers. Um, the chondrites didn't experience that. They didn't undergo that separation. So you can get chondrites, which have these little droplets in them, little uh, spheres, which are chondrules, which represent melted dust that formed in the solar nebula. So before the planets started forming, we've got, we, get, we can look at meteorites that have componentry from then as well. So these chondrules were among the earliest solid materials to form in the solar system. Before Earth was even a thing, molten droplets of rock rapidly cooled into these tiny beads that are found in stony meteorites today. Because these chondrules have not yet been found in rocks on Earth, they are a signature of chondrite meteorites. But how can you be sure about iron meteorites? What about these pieces we are collecting from the river? Iron, yes, but are they leftover bits of junk or rare rocks from space? There are a few ways to check, says James. First, you could look for what elements are in it using X or F, X-ray fluorescence, particularly looking at the amount of nickel present. And that's what he'll do with these pieces when he gets them back to the university. Second, you could look for distinct patterns using a very powerful microscope. If we were to cut this open and then look at it on a scanning electron microscope, the, the, the textures in here, that would give a clue as well. So if this were just iron, some sort of iron sheeting or something that's been reworked, we'd be able to see the texture in that. But if it were an iron meteorite, we would see the iron nickel minerals and their interlocking textures. We could see that at, at microscopic detail. When you say textures, you mean the way that they form together? Yeah, yeah. So the iron meteorites are predominantly two minerals. They're one called camasite and one called taenite. And they're both iron-rich alloys with a bit of nickel in them. And when these uh, planetary cores cool, 
these two crystals, they intergrow with one another and they form a very prominent uh, texture called Whitman-Statten texture, which is an intergrowth of that, the interior of the core cooling. And it's very visible when these surfaces are etched or by looking at it under a scanning electron microscope at really high magnification, would very easily tell. Or if you were lucky enough to stumble across it just after it has landed, there is another way. If it was a fall and had recently come through the atmosphere, they get a fusion crust on them. And this is a black uh, layer that forms around the meteorite where the rock partially melts um, because it gets so hot from the friction in the air. And it's only a couple of millimetres thick, but if you break it open, it'll be a pale, much paler colour inside, which is the rock, not melted. And that fusion crust is what people often recognise as being a meteorite. It's that black surface, but it's only very thin. So if you chip your rock away, and that's a very thin layer, yeah, that would be... So that'd be a telltale sign that, that's that, got a crust. That's right, that would be the telltale sign of a... Um, of a fall, like it would have to have very recently have come down, mm. or, or it could be a fine, but it would have to have very recently landed. Otherwise, that just weathers away very rapidly. Nadine finds another promising piece, which we stash away and head back down the river. As we walk, James and I talk about how many large meteorites would have hit Earth across time, and what the impact of these large ones might have been. If you look at the moon, for example, you'll see heaps of craters. You can see them from Earth. Yeah. Some of those craters are ginormous. One of them is up to about 1,000 kilometres in diameter. Well, the moon throughout its history has orbited Earth. And so if the moon's been hit by all of this debris, then so too has Earth. But our problem is here is that we've got plate tectonics and a lot of water, and so the surface of the Earth is constantly being modified. That cratering history, we've had that. We've been bombarded intensively on Earth, but because our crust is renewing itself, that history is largely obscured. And so there are just scraps of craters around, around Earth, and many of them are in old rocks, like in, in Canada, South Africa, and Australia. They've got uh, plenty of craters. But all of the young areas, these things just get reworked and, and the, the craters get destroyed. So the one that killed the dinosaurs that collided with the what is the Yucatan Peninsula today is just one of many that have, have struck the planet. There's one in South Africa, it's called the Vredefort Dome, which is ginormous. It's a couple of hundred kilometres across. And that occurred... Uh, billions of years ago, and it's preserved because that portion of South Africa is very old. Ah, I but see. there must have been many more of these that have hit Earth, but we just have lost that, that record of them. And were we to be struck by a 10-kilometre-sized asteroid, we would see temperatures change greatly over a very short period of time. The Cretaceous impact, for example, formed... Uh, uh, caused forest fires globally and tsunamis were widespread especially in, around the area where it was impacted but there was, even New Zealand has a record of, of flora change at that point in time so it's actually here on the west coast there's a, a coal mine where the vegetation changes from forest to fern at the Cretaceous tertiary boundary 
but these are major biota resetters, and it looks like Earth has had a number of them. James, Felix and Marshall have a bit more fieldwork planned on the West Coast. But a week or so after I get back, James calls me to say he's going to use the XRF, the X-ray fluorescence, to test the samples that we've collected. From wet feet, metal detectors and digging up rocks, the answers will be revealed in this quiet corner in the Quadrangle building that hosts the geology department. In James's office is pretty cool. The large wooden shelves are stuffed with books and different rocks, besides sample drawers that hold more rocks. The walls are covered in coloured maps based on rock types, a giant periodic table, a description of the planets in our solar system, a large microscope sits between some potted plants. And in a small plastic set of drawers on the top of a cupboard is James's meteorite collection. So I have a couple of things here. Firstly, I have an iron meteorite, uh, which we can trial. And um, I actually have fragments of the Dunganville meteorite here as well from GNS. So these oh. are some of the little bits that are... The original find. That's right, yeah. So we'll be able to compare our results with, with those. So this is the iron meteorite first. This is the, that's right, this is the iron meteorite. And what we're doing is we have a handheld XRF, so it's capable of measuring the X-ray spectra that comes off the sample. And it looks like a space gun. So here we can see that this one is giving up high iron concentrations. It's also giving up um, high uh, nickel as well. And that's kind of a characteristic signature of an iron meteorite? That's right. All of our iron meteorites should have high iron and nickel because that's what uh, the cores of these small planets in our own planet would be made up of. So the iron meteorite shows the iron and nickel signature. No surprises there. This iron meteorite here which is a, an old one that the geology department acquired years and years ago, is definitely an iron-nickel meteorite. So it's, de it's definitely part of a, a small planetary core from the start of the solar system. Now we've got here some original fragments of the Dunganville meteorite. I'm going to lay them on the, the desk here. They're very small fragments. Well, I think they've been cut off. The original piece is much larger, but these are very thin shavings off it. So yeah, and quite shiny and metal-looking. Hmm. Yep. You can actually see some of the uh, Whitman-Statten texture in it, which is the intergrowth of camasite and, and taenite. So I suspect that these have been all dipped in acid and, and etched. So here we go. This is the Dunganville meteorite we're measuring now. Again, no surprises. So we can be pretty confident that what was originally found, we have uh, fragments of it sitting on the desk here. So now it's the moment of truth, right? That's right. We would hope to find, like we say, a little bit of nickel. That's really the key thing because we can have iron as old working material lost from, say, old gold panning or bits of come off vehicles or, or whatever. All right, here we go. Here we go. Oh, I'm going to spare you the 30-second wait here for the XRF to spit out the extremely disappointing results that none of what we found was in fact a piece of iron meteorite. The XRF says no, there's not enough nickel, iron nickel, for this to have the minerals that we'd expect in an iron meteorite. Mm. Yeah. I suppose it just points to the fact that how difficult it is to 
find meteorites. Yeah, what I get is a lot of people bringing me uh, fragments that they hope are meteorites, and, and uh, there haven't been any so far. None of them have, have shown the, the right elemental compositions, but they're there. And I think that's the thing that kind of gives me hope anyway, is that New Zealand must have more. And of the ones we have, uh, only two of them have been falls and the rest have been finds. And they've been found by, for example, like the Dunganville one was just somebody hunting up a creek. Another one was where a farmer was ploughing a paddock. And another one was where I think it was a farmer again who noticed their sheep were standing on a particular rock and they were interested enough to, to bring that rock to the geological survey who identified it. So they're absolutely out there and I mean it's just a matter of time before more are found. So not to be this time but it'll happen, they're out there, <laughs> there's just too much vegetation to, to readily pick them up but you know finding one in, in the Dunganville area which is well, as we saw, is a gorge with steep sides, and it wouldn't be the place you'd go meteorite hunting, that's for sure. But here it was. Huge thanks to Associate Professor Dr. James Scott of the Department of Geology in the University of Otago. Thanks also to the full meteorite hunting team of Felix Smith, Nadine Cooper, Eve Aitken, Thomas Stevenson, Daniel Bergen, Dr. Marshall Palmer and Julia Burns. This episode was produced by me, Claire Concannon. Thanks to Justin Gregory for editing help. Sound engineering was by Phil Benj. Tim Watkin is executive producer of podcasts and series at RNZ. If you follow the Our Changing World podcast already, thank you. If you don't, I recommend that you do. You can do it for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And it means new weekly episodes will download to your device and you won't miss a single one. Check out the show's website at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. I'll post some photos of the meteorite hunting expedition there. And you'll also be able to listen to our extensive back catalogue of episodes. Also, if you want to get in touch with us, we're on Facebook or Twitter at RNZ Science. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Claire Kincannon. Kia pai to wiki. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.